Reading, short and deep. Hi, this is Jesse, and I'm Eric, and we're reading short and deep, the words of Guru by C.M. Cornbluth. I must say, Jesse, I found this story very uh, intriguing because it seems to me um, as if it's sort of a straight line development. Uh, doesn't have a lot of twists and turns mm-hmm. uh, in the plot. And yet the more I thought about it, the more I found that it was troublingly resonant with things I know about the world in general, at least Western culture in general. But that's not a kind of reason to publish a story in stirring science stories, which is, I guess, where this first appeared in Mm. 1941. And as I looked it up, it turns out that this was published when Cyril Kornbluth was 18 years old. Actually, he was 17 because uh, the magazine came out in July and uh, he was born in, uh, it came out in June, he was born in July, but the math works out so that he was 17 years, I heard that he wrote it when he was 16. My gosh. I think this works as a great introduction to Kornbluth, uh, in part because of what's in the story, and in part because of, I think he is the story, (laughs) uh, largely. But I, I'm sensing you also are seeing other things in here. Well, I, I, I think I am, but um, I'd like to hear more about uh, – I mean, those people who are science fiction fans uh, know that Kornbluth, although he died very young, uh, really did uh, some remarkable things that uh, at least two of his short stories, The Marching Morons and Little Black Bag, are among the – acknowledged uh, masterpieces of the 20th century and the work that he did with uh, Frederick Pohl, particularly uh, the space merchants uh, came out serialized in 52, but came out as a novel with a new title, the space merchants in, in 53. Um, That novel is one of the best satiric takes on post-World War II American culture and Madison Avenue and so on that exists in any genre. So there's a lot to know and like about Kornbluth. I am very interested in hearing how it is that you think that this is an introduction to that that body of work and, and what you mean when you say that the story is the author. Because, yeah, I'm seeing things, but those yeah. aren't the things. So let me yeah. know what you had in mind. Well, this is a story about a uh, prodigy, a child prodigy of at least a kind, who uh, finds a guru and learns to take the lessons of power from that guru, but also uses them wildly and perhaps without moral um, uh, uh, guidance. Uh, it's it, it's interesting that the the role that the guru plays in this story. He seems to be uh, an, an more enigmatic character than even the than Peter, the main character himself. And I kind of see Kornbluth that way. I've read, a, I haven't read everything by Kornbluth, but I've, I've read a fair amount. Um, and he is a strange person based on the writing alone. Um, and I think 
he is kind of like, I'm not saying he's a monster exactly, but he is uh, monstrously powerful in. You mean Cornbluth or Peter? Yeah, I'm saying uh, Cornbluth is like Peter. He he is monstrously powerful, um, and it's in a, in frightening ways. And yet, he, like Peter, he's ignorant of many things. Um, so, for example, there's a there's a novel called The Syndic by Cornbluth that is uh, a it's 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 a libertarian utopia according to some people. And I would say it's a monstrous dystopia um, because it's uh, the United States run by gangsters. Um, it's a very strange, weird novel, and it's frightening. But I think it doesn't frighten Cornbluth as much as it frightens me. And I think about that every time I read Cornbluth is that he is wild in his ideas, but... It, that's what's so frightening is that he doesn't seem to be inhibited at all. And I don't, I'm a person who sort of thinks of myself as, you know, very accepting of all kinds of different things. Um, but his, his personality shows up so much in his writing, even more than uh, so many other people. And because he's interested in so many different things and because he's so good at so many different things, um, he scares me. <laughs> so that's what I mean by uh, the story is the author in a certain way. Well, if you read the words of Guru as if it were a wish fulfillment story for its author, mm -hmm. since it, it ends with a promise of the destruction of the world, mm -hmm. um, I can understand you, you feeling just that. Mm -hmm. um, as I look at the the three, I've read the syndic. Uh, I've also read a book I, by him with Cornbluth uh, that I think is somewhat related, Gladiator at Law, mm -hmm. um, where we see violence substituted into the the normally nonviolent institutions for social control, uh, what lawyers do, and so on, how judgments are made. But I've I've always viewed these works. Um, maybe because I read Cornbluth's work alone, that is his novel length work alone, after I'd already read his collaborations with uh, Frederick Pohl, um, I've always read them as satiric, that he wasn't um, just doing wish fulfillment. On the other hand, I, I, maybe I, he's doing both. Maybe, you know, like a little child torturing uh, its favorite pet. Um, he's enjoying the the power and the vicarious thrill, but he knows ultimately he's not going to do anything bad to it, and he loves the pet and wants to keep it around, maybe in part because he can torture it. So maybe Cornbluth is indulging his, his rhetorical power to pred pr predict that someone else with enormous rhetorical power who can use the magical words that he mm -hmm. learns from the guru could destroy the world because he knows, in fact, he's not going to be able to destroy the world. Um, so he can have that frisson, the same way you go to a horror movie, um, to be thrilled by the danger, in part because you know going in, it's not going to actually happen to you. Well, uh, it, it, just three years after this story was published, he's in the Ardennes, uh, 
manning a machine gun, uh, fighting against a guy who has the power to, you know, change the world and destroy the world. Hitler, right? The man who rose from, you know, being a corporal to being the head of an empire. It, it this story has resonance in reality, even if you don't believe in magic, because I think words are magic and he's he's really tapped into something raw and scary in this story i think i think i think uh, i i'd love to hear you talk about that as you see it in the story Um, Mm -hmm. one of the reasons is that um seeing it function in the story um would suggest a value to the story all by itself even for those who didn't happen to know um, the age of the author or what he'll be doing three years later or what his other works are. I mean, what, what are those resonances in the real world? I don't mean three years later, Hitler. I mean, as one reads this story now in the 21st century, mm-hmm. what are the resonances that you see there? Well, um, some of the things that he learns, right? The very first thing he learns from Guru, who has another name and we are left to guess as to what it is because it's one familiar to Peter. So is it Lucifer? Is it Merlin? Right? We don't know. So there's that whole uh, names or power idea that goes back at least as far as King Arthur's stories, right? Um, Knowing the name of a thing um, gives you power over that thing. And I believe that's true. I, I believe that me knowing what hydrogen is gives me more power than me not knowing that water's made of two elements. One is oxygen, one is hydrogen. Knowing what oxygen is, is a power. Knowing what hydrogen is, is a power. Knowing how they combine to make water is a power. So when he gets his very first power, it's the power to spoil food, which is, doesn't seem like a massive power. But it's not a positive power to unspoil food. It's a negative power. And then he gets the power to travel by word. And I was when I was reading this with my students, I said, that could be as simple as taxi, right? You know, <laughs> stepping out on the street. Um, and that is a, something that will draw the attention and get you to where you want to go. But there's other powers he gets too. The power to compel, Right. Um, the power to destroy the world. The, the powers he gets are generally negative. <laughs> I can't. I can't say there's one that was super positive. But the language of it is so. It's even though the writing is very simple, um, he uses the power of poetry um, to enchant the reader. So there's a line here near the end. It says, Your tongue could crush the grapes that taste like melted silver. You could hear always the song of the bulbul and the lark that sound like the dawn star made musical. Spikenard that will bloom a thousand thousand years could ever be in your nostrils. Your hands could feel the down of purple Himalayan swans that is softer than a sunset cloud. Those are the kinds of powers that he can get from these power words. That, 
That's an interesting uh, paragraph. Uh, it stood out for me as well. Guru, um, so remember, a Guru seems to have been waiting for Peter. Mm-hmm. Peter um, remembers his own birth, and he's speaking at two months of age. Uh, Peter is, before he becomes um, associated with Guru, for reasons that are never explained in the story, Peter is an extraordinary human being. Um, He refers to his parents in the past tense, always. My mother was Clara, my father was Thomas. Um, He's 14, or I guess 15, no, he's, he's 13 at the end of the story. Um, because it's a year after he has talked about uh, wanting a word that will give him sexual access to a girl named Mary, who Mm -hmm. is uh, 14 at the time. He's 12, so I guess he's 13 here. It's time for his bar mitzvah. Um, He's, in fact, no longer needing guru at the end. But But he's narrating it from this point. And at this point... It's already past having um, killed many people. He never mm. mentions killing his parents, but his parents are always referred to in the past tense. Um, and they never arise at any time in Peter's narrative of his own life after, I think, the age of 11. Um, so uh, he's freed himself from his parents by this power. Now, he was extraordinary to begin with. Clara says there's never been any geniuses on my side of the family or on Joe's that I've heard of. Um, It's interesting that his parents' initials are together, JC. Um, He's he's extraordinary to begin with. Then he sees something which no one else can see, um, a gray slug. And uh, we know that no one else can see it because Clara puts her hand right through it without noticing anything. Mm-hmm. And she tells him this is called illusion. And that night he calls out illusion, illusion. He wants these sights that no one else can see. And it's at that moment that Guru shows up. Uh, it's the first time in his life, according to Peter's narrative, his autobiographical narrative. Um, and Guru says, I've been waiting. So we kind of have to wonder um, was Peter made to be the kind of person that he is by forces that are greater than humanity? He certainly wasn't a natural occurrence of Joe and Clara. And only when he gets to a certain point does he get this spirit guide. Um, or is it just accidental that he begins this way and then the spirit guide takes advantage of his existence? Because later we're told that he's been chosen to be the one from his planet who can become part of this utterly disembodied group of immortals who can do whatever they want and live nowhere. Um, They're all illusions. They have no bodies. They have no life and death. It's a story about, in that sense, the difference between the real and the illusory. And the words of Guru, the title, the words of Guru, has, I think, multiple meanings. A word, after all, is insubstantial. It's only an illusion. If if I say to you, your tongue could crush the grapes that taste like melted silver, there's nothing there, Mm -hmm. right? It's it's creating illusion. Um, So those are the words of Guru. Guru is trying, it seems, 
he is trying to stop Peter from demanding that he get taught the last word. Mm-hmm. But every time he, he says, well, you can do this, you can do that, there are a number of paragraphs like the one you quoted. All Peter responds is, teach me the word. Teach me the word. He says it th- uh, multiple times, I think at least four. And then, after the last time he says it, the story says, Guru grinned and said the word. So if this is the word, as we're told in the, in the last paragraph of the story, that can destroy the world, when Guru says the word, he can't make it destroy the world. Guru is something of illusion. He exists only in his words. Words are only illusions, but when someone real, and we're told in the story that Peter is the only real one there when he goes to what looks like a witch's coven um, in some place out of space and time, um, he, we're told he's the only real one there. So it's as if there's a war between illusion and reality. Peter is real, the rock on whom I will build my church. Mm-hmm. Right? And if he'll say the word... Then it will destroy the world. And I love that last line. It is a word that will explode this planet like a stick of dynamite in a rotten apple. Mm-hmm. Well, it was an apple that was the problem with the world to begin with. Going mm-hmm. back to Eden. I mean, actually, in the Hebrew, it's not an apple. But for English speakers, it's an apple. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, instead of Peter being God's vicar on earth, who's here to help us come toward redemption, it looks like Peter is going to lead us toward destruction. Just what you were saying about the scary power in CM Kornbluth. But that passage, the words of Guru, think of it, the words of Guru are the words that get taught to Peter. But the words of Guru are also these temptations that Guru doesn't really mean. It's a test to get Peter excited about learning that final word. Mm-hmm. Um, and the words of Guru are also only illusions. That this master, this guru, this mentor, teacher, is in fact not someone who can give you power. The power has to be in you to begin with. So it's a wonderfully ambiguous title, I think. Mm-hmm. The words of Guru are good, bad, or indifferent depending upon which aspect of those words you look at. So you've pointed to one of those, the words as poetry. But poetry can do stuff. I'd also point out that that the word word actually refers to a number of different things in the dictionary. That is, um, we use the word word to refer to single words like A, boy, cart, fly, you know, whatever, single words. But we also use the word word to refer to spoken utterances, the the last words of Christ uh, on the cross. The seven last words of Christ include, mother, I thirst. That's not a word, right? But it's called one of the seven last words of Christ. If I say, I give you my word. Mm-hmm. That means I've made an oath. My word isn't, you know, supercalifragilistic expialidocious here. I give you my word, right? Rather, I'm asserting an oath. So 
the word word can be long extended things. The way the story is written, Peter first uses a word to spoil food. That's a direct rejection of his parents. Mm-hmm. And the next thing he does is kill um, the the brother, I forget his first name. Uh, brother Paul. Who? He kills Paul. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> Peter and Paul. Terrific. He kills mm-hmm. brother Paul, who's the first one to actually start to worry. You know, what's he calls Peter's oddity and genius your problem, he says to him. And that's all it takes for for uh, Peter to decide to kill Paul. Wonderful, robbing Peter to pay Paul. Now it's the other way around, robbing Paul to pay Peter. So um, there's that one word. But maybe the word was, you know, an oath. Maybe it was a magic spell. Who knows what it is? There are the words of guru that destroy, but that's what gives power to the individual. This... Um, This is strongly Christian in its resonances, I think. Um, We're told not to eat the apple, right? Adam and Eve are told not to eat the apple. And when they do, it says in Genesis, now lest they reach out and eat from the tree of life and become as one of us, therefore he cast them out of the garden. In other words, when Satan said, when the snake said um, um, that, no, Eve, you're wrong, thou must not surely die. In fact, the snake was telling the truth. Because if, in fact, having eaten of the apple, the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, Adam and Eve had also eaten the fruit of the tree of immortality, they would be gods. And it is in that jealousy that that they are cast out of the garden. So the consequence of breaking the rule, the spoken rule, the word, the consequence of that is for Adam and Eve, true, they become mortal, but they get more power. God acknowledges it in Genesis. And then when Abel um, is killed by Cain, right, he commits murder out of jealousy because God has found uh, pleasure in Abel's sacrifice. Abel is a shepherd and he makes sacrifice of the sheep, whereas uh, Cain is a farmer and only grows plants, right? Cain is, in fact, the one who doesn't kill. Abel is the one who kills, but in jealousy at God's favor, Cain kills Abel. Now, despite the fact that the Old Testament is known for its strictures like an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, Cain goes to God and says, Every man will want to raise his hand against me. And God puts a mark on Cain. That mark is not to say, aha, here's Cain, everybody shun him. In fact, Cain expects everybody to shun him. God puts that mark on Cain so that no one will touch him. He is under God's protection. In fact, by breaking the rule and killing, he gets more powerful. The ultimate step in this process of disobedience to the word, giving power to the individual, is Jesus, who commits suicide, since he knows that to become holy man, he will in fact be crucified. He must know it, because he's an omniscient God. 
He does that, and the result of that is immortality for mankind. Eat of my body, right? This is my body, eat of it. Cannibalism, the last taboo, eating taboo that gets broken, gives ultimate power to humanity in a Christian view. It makes us immortal. Again and again, the breaking of the word, the doing the negative thing, actually gives power to the one who would do it. And in this story, the words of Guru, that temptation, that beautiful paragraph, it's like the 40 days that Jesus tempted in the wilderness. But no, Jesus wants Jesus's power. And Jesus gets to go to heaven. And that's what's ultimately going to happen to Peter. That is the Peter in our story. Because when he decides to blow up the planet like a stick of dynamite in a rotten apple, he will be out in the heavens. He will not die when he says that word. This is a, a very strange story that we can, at one level, I think, resonate with because we get to see vicariously how powerful words are. And here we are reading a story mm-hmm. and wondering, wow, if I only knew that word, that unspoken word, if I knew that, I could have that power. It's a, it's a juvenile attraction. But at the adult level, I think it makes us recognize how powerful the world of ideas may be and how scary it is to uh, allow the power of ideas into the hands and minds of those who do not actually want to support the world and the society around them. In that sense, at least, Jesse, I think even without knowing Cornbluth's life. This story is, just as you say, an introduction to a writer who shows us the scariness of really having deep ideas and control over language. Indeed. You you said something I, I think we should just highlight again. My word is my bond, right? When you break your bonds, you're freeing yourself. It's it, it, there are so many resonances with the the JC parents and the and the child who's kills instead of saves Paul. Um, it, it's it's tremendous. This story has a raw power, and it says so little about what's going on. We know how ignorant this character is. He kills someone, thinking that the word glands refers to a monster that he meets in the woods. He said, how did you know? And he kills him. Right. Right. He's so ignorant. And yet a little bit of this, uh, power he has can kill. So it is, it's like having a, a gun in your home and a toddler running around. Who's very curious. Interesting. Despite the fact that Clara and Thomas, have lived with Peter presumably his whole life. The first person who recognizes Peter's oddity as a problem, the one who asks him about glands and gets killed for it, is Brother Paul. Mm-hmm. So somehow or other, Clara and uh, Clara and Joe—I mean, uh, Clara and Joe—have sent Peter to a Catholic school, and. <laughs> It's, it's someone with religious training who somehow sees that this particular 
capacity, the, the, the verbal skill, the, the high intellect is not a gift, but a problem. He's right. I mean, it may be that, that Peter is wrong in misunderstanding uh, Brother Paul's use of the word glands, but Peter's actions show us that, in fact, whatever are the hormones that are flowing in this kid, they are going to destroy a lot. And Brother Paul, the religious man, recognizes it. So there is also a conflict between the good illusions, presumably, of religion and the bad illusions that are playing with Peter and training him. And I guess that's a suggestion that uh, for every story, there's a counter story. Uh, and we get one of those in this in this one. Um, you know, there's that girl, Mary, when he's 12 and she's 14. And suddenly at a certain point, um, I desired her as those in the cavern out of time and space had desired me. In that earlier episode, the witches are sidling up lasciviously to Peter, who's brought for the first time there by Guru. And Guru says, leave him alone. He's not ready yet. You don't want to mess, mess, mess him up for his the plan we have for him, which we now presume after having read the whole story is to get to be powerful enough that he can destroy the earth. Um, so they have sexual desire toward him. Guru stands in the way. But later... I desired this Mary, this girl around, uh, who was 14, as those in the cavern out of time and space had desired me. So he wants a word from Guru, and we're never told exactly what the word is for, but apparently it works, because he's able to do what he wants with Mary. Now, Mary, I mean, the so-called Virgin Mary, is pregnant because she receives the word of God. That's what's known as the Annunciation. Gabriel says, you will bear the child, right? And that Annunciation, the speaking of the word, is what gets Mary pregnant. And here we have Peter's Mary, who's too old for him. And what 14-year-old girl wants a 12-year-old boy, right? But he learns the word and son of a gun. He's now satisfied with his relationship with Mary once he's used this word on her. I looked it up, by the way, because I didn't know offhand. I just never thought about it before. How old was the Virgin Mary when Jesus was born? Apparently, according to the best ways of looking at different interpretations of the Gospels, probably 14 or 15. So what we have here is an enunciation not to bring joy to the world, but to bring gratification to the desirous Peter. And the apple that would give power once Adam and Eve eat it, even though it's disobedient, in this case, that apple is just going to be utterly destroyed and no people will have power. Mm -hmm. um, boy, there are words and there are words. Mm -hmm. I, I also like the symmetry of the very first word he learns is the power to spoil food. That apple is spoiled. It's rotten. And a dynamite, you don't need dynamite to destroy a rotten apple. This is power in excess. 
God creates the world using, in Genesis, using words, it creates a universe and light and says things and they become that way. And he has the power to spoil food, to ruin the earth, <laughs> and has right. the power to destroy it. It's, it is a frightening story, and I think that's why it is so heavily anthologized. It's, it's powerful. It is. It's as if Peter has become an anti-god, but, um, but only in relation to the earth. A guru is a minion of some thing called the presence. Mm-hmm. And if one were to read this religiously, uh, and I don't think it calls for that. I think it only asks us to know the religious context, not to read it as if we were uh, Christian believers. But if one reads it religiously, it's the presence for which Guru is a minister who then creates a greater one who will come after me in Peter. I mean to be quoting John the Baptist there. Um, it's the presence that actually is the anti-God, not mm-hmm. Peter himself. From the pool of blood, from the third dancer's body, there issued the presence. It was tall. It was the tallest one there. And when it spoke, its voice was deeper. And when it commanded, its commands were obeyed. This is my body. Eat of it. This is my blood. Drink of it. Mm -hmm. This is the Antichrist, the presence. I mean, if you want to give it a... a It it boggles the mind that this story was published in science stories. Amazing. But, yeah, it should have been published in Amazing. It's generally classified sort of as a weird tale. Um, It should have been in Weird Tales, which maybe it was submitted to. But, um, wow, 16-year-old kid, 17-year-old kid writing a story like this. That's raw power. And had he lived, had he had more time. We might have been in a lot more trouble, or <laughs> or we certainly would have had many more extraordinary works of literature. Indeed, indeed. But even though he has passed, there is always more to say. <laughs>